Welcome to Global Outpouring, where we contend for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit promised in Joel 2.28, and we equip for the outpouring so that we may engage in the outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to the podcast today. We have been talking together, Philip and I, about servanthood and about leadership and how Jesus modeled servant leadership, and he taught us all about it. And and so the big question today is, do you qualify for servant leadership? So Philip, it's just lovely to just chat because <laughs> it's fun and we, we do that all the time anyway, but, but it's fun to um, record things that that are significant to us, that we feel the the breath of the Holy Spirit on. And so uh, you you were the one that started really feeling this from the Holy Spirit. Why don't you lead us out? Well, I was looking um, in John chapter 13, and this is in the Passion Bible, about Jesus being a servant. This is in the upper room, and this is just before he goes out to the Mount of Olives, before Judas goes out. And what he does, he washes the disciples' feet. Yeah. And in verse 3 there, it says, Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. Yeah. So this is when he took up his robe and towel and wrapped around his waist. He poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet, is what it says here. And um, <laughs> well, that's what it was. I mean, they yeah. walked in sandals. I mean, they didn't. They don't wear socks back then. You know, <laughs> you just walked in the street. If it was muddy, you got you got mud on them and all that. And that's that's life. That's just the way it was. Right. But actually, washing feet was the servant's job. That's exactly right. And if I remember right, the placement of the disciples around the table, mm-hmm. the last one on the far end you know, was the one that's supposed to wash the feet. And yeah, that if they was, don't have a regular servant to do it. Yeah, and that would have been Peter. That's right. And, of course, Peter is Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's kind of like Peter's high strung and, and, and you know, guy. and, and uh, so to wash feet is, uh, that's a very humbling thing. Right. To do that, and uh, I'll just inject a little story here. When mm-hmm. we were in China some years back, and we were in Anhui province. Oh, my, yes. And it was December, and it was cold. There's no heat in the churches. There wasn't any heat where we were staying. It was about 45 to 48 degrees. Mm-hmm. And we're on the stage, it was you so know. so cold. And I was determined. Seeing our breath. I was determined not to put gloves on my hands. I, had, I think I had a hat on my head. But nobody in the congregation had gloves. Mm. So I try to try to be like them. And when everything was all over and the night before we go, we're gathered together in a room with the pastors, and they bring in these these big bowls of hot water Steaming. to wash our feet. Mm-hmm. You know, and they <laughs> plunge our feet into this hot water. Yeah, and, you know? and, and we hadn't actually bathed during that whole time because it was so cold. We didn't change clothes for four days. It That's was, right. It was too cold. We slept in them and we preached in them. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so we pulled our socks. I can't imagine. I thought we haven't washed our feet for oh, days. it was awful. Of course, they didn't sweat, you know. True. 
but and they plunged our feet into this hot water and it's just like almost screamed and, <laughs> and then I had one pastor on one foot you know work on it and one pastor on the other foot yeah I've never had a foot washing <laughs> like that before yeah and they didn't just wash your feet they massaged they massaged your feet. Them. and then they massaged your your head and your neck and your shoulders and your arms and just it was like Peter, not not only my head, my feet, Lord, but my my face and my head. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was they were being servants. Yes, they had, they had learned how to serve. And how did that make you feel when they were doing that? It, but it was very humbling. Very. You know, it was it was very very humbling. You know, here we are, the ministers, and and these are people that have nothing. You know, it's like we would come and we'd want to bring them little gifts and things. And, and it's just like they gave you the best that they have. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it almost t- takes you by surprise. Yeah. You know, is, is what it really did. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they didn't even have tea. They were that poor that they didn't have tea. But somehow they had managed to get a, you know, one of these water cooler gizmos that has hot water and cold water. And we were so happy just to, just have, to have a cup water. of hot water. And, Who needed tea? And we used to think everybody in China drank tea, but Not, only those that can afford it. Yeah. So that was an amazing experience on, you know, getting your your feet washed. And it all comes from this story. Yeah. You know, but, but Jesus knew who he was, he knew where he was going. Right. And, and, and what he had to do for the disciples. And I want to look at the scripture that talks about Peter. And this is verse uh, 7. Jesus replied, You'd understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it will be clear to you. Peter looked at Jesus and said, You never wash my dirty feet. Never. <laughs> but Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. Uh-oh. Ooh. So Peter said, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head too. Yeah. yeah. So this was a, this was just a real, you know, just a real surprise and a shock, you know, for them, you know, doing doing the servants' work. Yeah. That Jesus was preparing, and when it talks about servanthood, that goes back to Isaiah forty-two verse one. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice and right and reveal truth to the nations. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking mm-hmm. about the one who would come to be the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, the problem is that that all of Israel was looking for someone who would redeem them from Rome and overthrow the Roman government and throw them out like the Maccabees had thrown out the Greeks. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to serve. And and everywhere he went, he served. He healed the sick and cast out devils and, and um, raised the dead raised and the dead. all those things that he told us to do, too. <laughs> yes. He's the servant. He's he's the model servant. And servanthood doesn't always come easy. Uh, right. Usually, in being a servant, you're going to have to go through some breakings. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I remember when I... When, when uh, I was kind of at the end of my rope, everything in the workplace was closed down. Everything I was skilled in, there wasn't any work because we were in a bad recession. And then when I got my last unemployment check and all the things happened, I had no money. And that's when I, I realized my life 
as I knew it was over. Mm-hmm. My bowling, everything I liked, my my automotive racing, you know, on the streets of Chicago and the suburbs <laughs> and all that, you know, the drag strip, it, it was all over. Everything that I'd grown to love, that was the end of it, you know, because I'm now entering a new phase of my life. But I don't go into the new phase of my life from where I ended and uh, where I came from. You know, you have to leave it all behind and start over. It's like seniority. Mm-hmm. You know, when you uh, start in a job, this way it used to be anyway, you start in a job, if, if it's, especially if it's union, you, you gather seniority. Every year you're with there, and you can, you'll be the first one to be promoted and all these things because of the service that you did the company because mm-hmm. you're serving this company. Right. So you're a servant to them, really, in a way. Mm-hmm. In some companies, you're only a name and a number, maybe. Yeah. You know, and I've had that happen, too. But when you're serving the kingdom of God, it's for a whole different thing. Because you're not serving, really, like for yourself. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. You're serving the king, and you want to do what he tells you to do. But in order to be a servant, you have to learn to be obedient. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to be sometimes. And even when I when I joined the ministry in 1981, you know, and I came down and and here I am, the new kid on the block, <laughs> you know, and I'm just just newly saved, and I'm I'm thrust into this missionary organization where there's people that you know that have walked with God for a long time, smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain, yeah. put their put their lives in their hands, you know, and that was a scary thing for me because. Because one of the things that scared me the most, because I knew about this organization for a number of years, and one of the things they did was they went and smuggled Bibles. Yep. And China wasn't open yet that time, but it was going into Russia, Czechoslovakia. Behind the Iron Curtain. The Iron Curtain. You know, it all covered the East, all the Bloc. Eastern Bloc nations. You had Romania, you had Hungary. Uh, Bulgaria. What, Bulgaria. You know, they were all under the control of communist Russia. Yep. And it was under an iron fist and an iron thumb, you know, and they had no Bibles and there were spies everywhere looking to find those who had Bibles, you know. And, and I remember a picture of a of a somebody crossing a border. This was a communist propaganda oh, yeah. of this real heavy guy crossing the border. And it shows them picking up and shaking them and all these Bibles and tracks falling out and they're <laughs> all laughing like crazy. Yeah. You know, and so there was cartoons against Bible smugglers and, right. and stuff like that. And and then I had my opportunity. It was in 1983. We went into India. And part of that trip into India was going into Nepal. And at that given time, Nepal only had a handful of Christians. And we met with the underground church. Somehow we made contact with these people. And we're in our whole hotel room. But as we were coming into the country, we, we had a tour group of 26 people with all the luggage, and we had boxes. I don't know how many boxes we had, but uh, they chose to open two boxes and two suitcases for the whole tour group. And in some of these boxes, including one with my name on it, we had all our Who is Jesus tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought if they pull the box that has my name on it or anybody else's name, they're, uh, you're going to lose the box. You Maybe the whole tour group would be, well, they would open all the rest of the boxes, and then you would lose your boxes, and the group may be deported. They were Hindu. It was uh, the only Hindu kingdom at that time. And so here we are. They're opening a box, this and that. 
and uh, they opened, and there was two boxes, I think, in my name, if I remember right. One had tracks, and one didn't. One was other stuff. And, but they opened a box that was didn't have the tracks in it. It was like, whoa, <sighs> sigh of relief. Okay, Lord, did I pass? You know, <laughs> <laughs> sweating bullets in the meantime. Sweating bullets, you know, and <laughs> and so sometimes when you're a servant to the Most High God, you're going to do things. He's going to require things of you that maybe you don't want to do. It's called stretching. Stretch me, Lord. Yes, stretching, and you can stretch limitlessly if you keep your spirit right. But it's really about loving God, mm-hmm. and being willing to do anything for Him. Because you love him. Yes. You know, lots of times we do things with fear or, you know, just because we know that that's what we have to do. Uh-huh. But when we surrender that fear of death, you know, the I think it's Hebrews, it's either the first or second chapter where it talks about who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. When we're afraid to die, you know, there's a, there's a fear that won't go away. But when you have surrendered your life... And you've given yourself to the servant king. Yeah. And he dwells inside of you. His peace that passes understanding will give you the grace to be able to do whatever he leads you to do. Yes. Even uh-huh. even if you are afraid, it's not like you don't fear, but you but you have the courage, you have the the grace that comes from his presence. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and even uh Moses was a servant. Absolutely. Yeah, and you look in uh this is in Malachi. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 4 it says remember ye the law of Moses my servant Mm -hmm. which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments okay so Moses was trained how many years 40 years in Egypt right as a prince as a prince he was the prince of Egypt had everything that was good but he had the calling of God on him I mean God didn't raise him up you know, to, to fan Pharaoh and feed him grapes all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was probably sitting uh, next to Pharaoh as, as his son. You know, he was, he was, uh, he was a big shot. Yeah. He and was, he was a general in the, in he the army. He was a general in the army. It was, and successful. Uh, very successful. But when he was out where the camp of the Israelites were and saw one of them being beat by an Egyptian, he killed the Egyptian. You know? And then he had to flee for his life. And that was the start of servanthood. Yeah. He had to come low, which is the process that you have to go through when you start coming to that place where everything else is falling apart. It's time to seek God. And and all of your pride and all of the things that you've done for yourself mm-hmm. um, have to be laid aside. And and you, you, can't, you can't live on your successes or your failures, either one. You have to get a brand new life by engaging in relationship with your Heavenly Father, with with Jesus who made the provision so you could. How did that make you feel with all the plans you had planned for yourself when you heard the Holy Spirit speak into you and say, I want you, I want you 100%, and I want you right now. Everything that, I mean, you mm-hmm. went through high school, you know, and... It was music, right at the end of high school. End of high school, you know, your your major was going to be music, you know, you excelled in music, and... And I'm I'm gonna put a little plug in for Sharon. Uh-huh. <laughs> when her when her music teacher retired about four years ago from her high school in Howell, Michigan, we were having lunch with him. And within just a few days, they were having a big celebration for him 
in a school auditorium that was named after him, you know, to honor his retirement because he was such a magnificent choir director. And Sharon, in her uh, senior year, maybe her junior year, had sung from uh, Handel's Messiah. O Thou That Tellest Good Tidings Design. And he said, we have never sung that song since because I could never find anybody that could sing it like she could. Wow. And that just... Uh, I'd forgotten that. That was quite shocking. And how many years was that? 1976 till he retired. This gives you an idea of, you know, the qualities Sharon had in her voice, and he recognized that. And she had it all mapped out. I'm going to be this music major. And, you know, her, her uh, grandfather was really just stepping up, going to help her along with her scholarships, just to step it off and make it big. And then the voice of the Lord. Yeah. The voice of the Lord said, I want you. I want you 100%, and I want you right now. And little did you know that you were going to have to go through some wilderness experiences. Oh. To get <laughs> no, I had I had no idea what that meant. I, all, I, all I knew was that I was hearing God, and and I had no reason to say anything but yes. I didn't ponder it. I didn't think about it. I, I, I just... I had wanted God all my life, you know, I, I had walked with him in some degree, sometimes I was quite cool or lukewarm, and at that point I had been pretty lukewarm, uh-huh. and, and that's why I was making plans for myself. You know, earlier in, in my childhood, I, I really felt his call to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of like pulling me back to what I knew before. It, it just it just made sense. It's like jerking the slack out. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. We would use jerk the slack out. You know? Yeah, only it was a gentle jerk. It was it, a, yeah, it was a gentle jerk. Yeah. There wasn't anything harsh about it. I mean, it was strong, but it wasn't It wasn't harsh. It was It was kind of like wooing. Yeah. It, it, and this is this is for somebody out here that's listening. You know, you get a prophetic word from God, or someone speaks over it, or you get a you get a rhema by yourself and reading the word and like a a rhema just it comes alive in you. Mm-hmm. It's like it feels you feel it light up with the spirit of God in you. God gives you a rhema about something, and what He wants you to do or where to go, but He doesn't always make the pathway clear. Mm-hmm. It could be for a ways down the road, but he steers you in the direction that you want to go. And meanwhile, you start going through some things to mm-hmm. get there. It's yes. like an obstacle course. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's like the like a barrel race or something. You know, what do you call that race uh, that was made popular in the in the UK with the horses? They they the steeplechase. Steeplechase. I mean, that horse is trained mm-hmm. to go st- through stuff. Yeah. He goes, so I don't know what kind of training a horse will go through to jumping, to jumping and all this and that. And, and even uh, at the Sight and Sound Theater in Branson, and there's one also in Pennsylvania. And uh, we went backstage, and it's, you know, it's like Broadway, you know, bringing the, the Bible stories alive. It's powerful. And what goes into it? They have live animals that do different things. And they say what they do, they train the animals. And when they can do their part a hundred times, perfectly, then they will use them on stage. So they had to go through a lot of training. Yes. You know, a hundred times without failure. Obedience. They learned yeah. obedience. So when we can learn obedience to what God wants us to do on a day-by-day situation, mm-hmm. walking in the Spirit day-by-day, you know, he's, he's preparing us for what he wants to do. And what's he preparing you for right now? 
you know, we think, okay, he's preparing me for, for ministry or he's preparing me to be big in my company. You know, God's going to use me in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's in the pulpit. You know, right. I mean, uh, there are those called everywhere. to be pulpit. He has his people everywhere. He might have them in the train station. They might be a ticket agent. They might be a flight attendant on an airplane, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, getting... You know, people get upset with you because there's too many ice cubes in the drink, you know, and you got to learn to hold your cool. You know, anywhere in your place God is training, you're going to have challenges. And he's teaching you to be a good servant. What would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. You know, perfecting your attitude in all things so God can trust you more and more yes. to be like Jesus. Right. So that you can lead and he can lead through you. Yes. Because he lives inside of you. The servant lives inside of you and he gives you the leading to do the things that you're supposed to do. And we just had Dean Braxton on for, if you can look at our former podcasts, and the one thing that he saw when, when he died, when he left the planet, he says they went to heaven. Jesus saw the Jesus in him. Jesus mm-hmm. saw himself in me. And I was in. And I was in. Yeah. And so that's what G- Jesus wants to be in you totally. Yeah. Where we, you know, where people will see Jesus in us. Exactly. And he's getting us ready wherever we're at, we're, if, you know, if we're in ministry or we're in marketplace, whatever we're doing, he's getting us ready for what's coming. Exactly. Preparation, you know, for this move of God is coming. And and uh, I, I want to just uh, kind of interject here, you know, a little bit about a, a move of God that happened in New York. And this is one that basically a lot of people haven't heard about, and I haven't myself. Now, we've had a lot of moves of God, you know, in, in our country and all that. But this goes back to 1857. And if you remember, the Civil War started in 1860. But just before this, in the 1850s, they had seven years of booming prosperity in the American economy. Everything's just going good. So in 1857, and this is New York City, it had a population of 800,000 people at that time, had all kinds of immigrants coming in, and they're getting, you know, the the lousy work, the, you know, the, the low-income jobs and, and all that because they don't have any skills. And might not speak English. And so New York was was going along, and things were not doing uh, very good in New York at that time. I mean, there was violent crime going on, and that's what was in the newspapers every day. There was a severe recession was threatening to cripple, you know, the the economy of the city. You know, and and there was all kinds of stuff going on, and the paper said the curses that are on the city, the drunkenness, the infidelity. And it says, alas, for the hopeless, squalid misery of New York. That's a quote from the paper. You know, it was a steady rise in crime, and Lower Manhattan became a violent neighborhood that even the firemen were divided into warring factions, mm. which continued battles resulting in dozens of deaths. Oh, my. But then the banks started to fall. The boom collapsed on a nationwide financial crisis. Banks were failing at every hand, and business just slumped really bad. But just as this was going on, the Lord spoke to people, people who he's been preparing for servanthood. There's this inner city missionary, Jeremiah Lamphere. He proposed to do a one-hour prayer meeting in, in the downtown from noon to one o'clock, and, and he's shooting to reach the businessmen because these are the ones that are really going through a lot of stress right now. So it was on September 23rd, 
You know, in, in 1857, he and six others began these prayer meetings in an upper room of his church. It was on the corner of Fulton and Williams Streets. If you want to Google that, maybe you can find out where it's at. Yeah, they called it the, the Fulton Street Prayer Revival. And the next week, 20 people came, drawn by signs and placards, and I'll quote it. This meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the daily perplexities incident to their respective avocations. So 40 attended the third meeting, and thereafter the Fulton Street prayer meeting met on a daily basis. And the emptiness of relying on commercial success for satisfaction was underscored as the great panic of 1857 spread, leaving banks prostrated, farmers unable to make ends meet, nearly 40,000 New York working men fresh out of work as winter approached. The day following the run on the banks, a hundred people came to the noon gathering. Many of them, Lamphere recorded in his diary, not professors of religion, but under great conviction of sin and seeking an interest in Christ. So this is a really an amazing thing going on at the same time. The banks fall, and usually what happens when the financial rug is pulled out from underneath you, mm -hmm. and maybe you don't have a relative you can move into, or, or you know, someone can help you pay the loan on your car, you're gonna, you're getting desperate. But all of a sudden, you turn to Jesus, and at the same time, conviction of sin sets in. Mm -hmm. Wow, and it it shouldn't have to be that way. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be where you have to have things happen bad to have a move of God happen. But that seems to be a pattern through history because we have it so good that, uh, you know, we kind of put Jesus on the back burner. I mean, had I not gone through hard times, I would not be serving the Lord now. Yeah. I might still be in the bowling alleys of Chicago. I don't know, you know. but and God knows how to pull the rug out from under us because it's the right time. We're going to put a link to the article that Philip just quoted from into the show notes on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you're listening on another platform and you're interested in where to find this, it's, um, it's going to be in the show notes on the Charisma Podcast Network. What's the name of the article? It's from the Yale Standard, yalestandard.com. It's called New York Revival. So I remember hearing Dutch Sheets talking about this revival just recently on his Give Him 15. Yeah, and I actually I was looking at this in our prayer time the night before, which wasn't anything related to Dutch Sheets. And I, I was looking for revival in New York City, and I found this article. And the next day it was mentioned in his Give Him 15. Wow, that's I thought, tremendous. that's really amazing. So, and, and he mentioned that there's a possibility that by some accounts that there were at least a million people saved during that and this is in a time when the population was somewhere between 23 million and 31 million in the whole country. So, you know, that's a large number of, of the population, that a large percentage of the population that got saved during that revival. Mm -hmm. And there is a quote I want to want to say here. I'm not sure where it came from. Well, we heard we first heard um, Matthew Reams quote it, but he didn't know where it came from either. And the quote was, hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. And weak men make hard times. 
And that is kind of a pattern that happens through history. Mm-hmm. When things get so good and you forget God. Because even America, I remember in the 1960s, we were one of the most, you know, the most prosperous nations mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. I mean, gas is the cheapest anywhere in the world, 35 cents for a gallon of gas. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you could buy, you could get any kind of horsepower you wanted out of the factory. And we had, every America had everything it wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, we were sending technology out everywhere and all that. And it was in 1962 when prayer was taken out of the schools. Yeah, and then in 63, Bible reading was taken out of the schools. And then gradually after that, groups started rising up anti-Christian, and it was like a slow slide yeah. to where we are today. So you know. it's time for these hard times to make some great men, some mm-hmm. strong men. And that's where servanthood comes from. Servant Servanthood is coming into a, a difficult time and and being used by God to make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, being willing to serve others. I, I remember hearing a story of somebody in a, you know, one of these missions in a inner city where, you know, they give pe- people a, a meal and a place to sleep and mm-hmm. then, you know, they have to go and live on the street during the day and then they come in that night. And And one guy came in and he was so dirty and so stinky and he took off his shoes and it was so horrible the the stench just went all through the room and there was about to be a big riot you know the guy was drunk and he'd fallen asleep so you know he didn't care that everybody was complaining about the smell of his feet and then one of the workers one of these Christ, i mean it's a christian mission uh-huh. one of these workers came with a bowl of hot water and washed his feet and became that servant leader Uh in front of all these people. That spoke more to those people Mm -hmm. to bring them to Jesus than all of the the nice things that they did for them, all of the meals and all of the the preaching that they did. That was a sermon for them. Yeah, and it was something that wasn't required of him as a worker there to do. Exactly, exactly. It was something that the Lord required of him the, this is this is the only way to fix this. You can bring peace here if you'll wash that man's feet. Yeah. That's servant leadership. That we're right back to where we started with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Mm, wow. That's you know, an amazing story. It is. And Jesus said in, in Mark ten forty four, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. Mm-hmm. So this is where our greatness comes from. Sometimes we get all excited about the supernatural things, and it's real. It's absolutely real. And we are pressing into God to know him, to love him, to let his spirit so permeate us that he can do supernatural things for us. But sometimes it's supernatural to wash somebody's feet Mm. because it will make such a difference. So are you ready to be a servant leader? Do you qualify for servant leadership? Let's pray for the listeners. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, We ask you, Lord, to work in us all a deeper love for you that will cause us to so flow with you that we can do those really difficult things to wash somebody's really dirty, stinky feet or to uh, help someone that, that, to love the unlovely. 
Lord, we ask you to, to cause us to have such a heart for you that we will let you be the servant inside of us. Yes, you're the king, but you're the servant king, and you, you showed us what it means to give of yourself so that we could live. Help us, Lord, to walk in that so that we can qualify to be servant leaders in these days to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence. <laughs>